Rogue states subject to punitive international sanctions are reportedly turning to cryptocurrencies to try to mitigate their impact. Iran, Venezuela, Russia and North Korea are said to be experimenting with blockchain technology to get around prohibitions on dollar-denominated transactions. With me to discuss these digital efforts to blunt the economic impact of sanctions is Henry Burrows, co-founder of Alico subsidiary Alico Analytics. Henry, how might cryptocurrencies enable countries to bypass international sanctions? Well, the properties of, of Bitcoin are quite attractive to rogue states, the ones that you've just mentioned, because of the very fact that it is completely decentralized. It's pseudo-anonymous and it isn't part of the core financial system. And what I mean by that is there are no banks or intermediaries sitting in between transactions. So payments go straight to person to person without any middleman scrutinizing or assessing those transactions. And so in that sense, you can effectively skirt the traditional banking system by using Bitcoin as a method or a means of transacting. Are the likes of North Korea, Iran, Venezuela and Russia fairly advanced with efforts to use blockchain technology to counter sanctions? I'd say it was a case of you know, different countries, slightly different strategies, the same ultimate goal. If you're looking at North Korea, for example, a lot of their activities in the last few years, a lot of stuff that has come to light about what they're doing with Bitcoin is, is around hacking, is around exploiting weaknesses in exchanges, particularly in South Korea, where they can then extract funds, Bitcoin, in order to use those funds to then transact internationally. Another one would be Bitcoin mining. Iran is particularly prevalent in this area in its efforts to circumvent uh, sanctions regimes. There's been quite a few news stories recently about Iran basically sort of tacitly accepting that Bitcoin mining can happen in Iran. They had initially banned it, but then brought it back as I think they realised it was quite an effective means of procuring funds in order to again transact internationally. The third one, Venezuela. They've gone a slightly different way to Iran in, in that they had tried to effectively create their own cryptocurrency. So in a sense, what they were trying to do is create their own transactional network through the Petro. Of the three, I think this is the least effective because it's pretty easy to stop, to purchase and to sell Petro. A lot of those transactions would happen through exchanges, so it's quite easy to target those exchanges. Those are the weak points in any a cryptocurrency network where enforcement can happen and so in that sense it's quite easy for the US to target those exchanges to try and stop the transaction of Petro and to be quite honest I mean if you look at some of the news around Petro I don't think it's been well developed well thought out I don't think that it's mature enough to be seen as a threat but it is just one of several strategies that countries who are under sanctions regimes do use uh, with regard to Bitcoin to try and skirt those regimes. Russia too has been experimenting with cryptocurrencies, but for different purposes, I understand. Russia tends to use Bitcoin to try to sow political discord internationally. In a sense, Russians use it as a tool of payment in the execution of its, or furthering its own foreign policy goals abroad. So one example of that would be to, if, you, if you took the Mueller report, for example, that came out earlier this year, you would see references to Bitcoin transactions. Now, 
working back from, from the references, because there aren't specific addresses named in that report, but there are enough clues to sort of point in the right direction. You can see, I think there's about five or six addresses you can determine are likely to be or have been under the control of the Russians. And I think that was the GRU in its efforts to sort of run and administer what they called the Internet Research Agency in the US during the 2016 general elections. What you can extrapolate from that is there are probably a number of other... We've, we've actually identified quite a few other Bitcoin addresses that were likely under the control of the same entity or individual. Uh, so you can start to map out what's going on. You do see transactions with exchanges across the world and so there is a payment network that you can start to understand how the Russian government have at least in one sense used Bitcoin to pay people abroad and to avoid using traditional financial structures in order to facilitate their payments. What are the issues going forward for countries attempting to evade sanctions through cryptocurrencies? Despite all of the press and attention that crypto gets it's still pretty limited usage I think compared to transactions in any typical currency is very, very small amounts in the billions of dollars. And so if you're transacting large sizes, if you're trying to move money via Bitcoin internationally in large size, it's very difficult. That's one issue that they're going to come across. And not least the fact that a lot of these transactions are obviously publicly available on the Bitcoin blockchain. And I'm only saying Bitcoin because it's the most popular, most widely accepted. And it's the one which most of these countries seem to move towards when executing these schemes. Another thing is the on-off ramps with regard to crypto exchanges. Even before you're trying to move currency, Bitcoin around, you've got to get onto an exchange somewhere and find somebody that's willing to buy it. So that typically is, you know, on an exchange that has enough liquidity and enough volumes to handle those transactions. Very, very difficult unless you're doing it OTC which is off-market transactions very difficult to find an exchange which could handle serious sizes of Bitcoin so I think that's a major restriction that's happening at the moment and it's difficult for these countries to get around that. The third one is alongside the growing need to regulate the sector and this is a broader debate there is more stringent measures around KYC on exchanges, payment services and systems in the cryptocurrency space so that back in 2014-2015 you could get onto an exchange without having to provide any information about your identity and you could just transact anonymously with you know, anyone else. You wouldn't know who they were. And now it's increasingly not the case. Um, you would have to hand over some kind of ID or identification in order to do that. So there are at least three or four, probably more ways in which it's becoming difficult for these countries to use cryptocurrency, particularly with the regulatory landscape as it is. With the US being one of the leading sanctions authorities, has it sought to combat sanctions evasion via cryptocurrencies? What it's done is tried to come up with ways, methods for getting some level of control over what is happening in the cryptocurrency space. And they, they're doing that in a few ways. One is certainly through sanctions. That happened late last year and this year as well with two Iranian nationals and a group of Chinese nationals whose Bitcoin addresses that they were using were named in OFAC designated sanctions lists. They were sort of listed alongside other identifiers for these individuals. What they're effectively doing is you can no longer trade with these addresses and 
any transactions that do occur, you may run the risk of being under sanctions yourself. So that's one method. I don't think it'll be that effective because, to be quite frank, it's not that difficult to just create another address. Moving funds to that address is, is another matter, but... Um, that's one way they're moving. Another way is regulations. Obviously, the Financial Action Task Force, alongside a number of other regulators around the world, are slowly moving towards a unified regulatory framework. I mean, the discussion is certainly happening. There is a lot of talk about how to apply things like a travel rule so everything is unified across jurisdictions. Something else, and I think this is the third sort of leg of this, is that something that Americans tend to be quite good at is enforcement. The SEC, certainly in the last 12 months, have been a lot more aggressive in its enforcement of cryptocurrency businesses, particularly ICOs from the 2017-2018 era. And, you know, aside from looking at whether those issues were securities or not, it's about understanding whether any fraud happened and whether they can institute some kind of investor protections and how that would look. And I think with the SEC, that has just naturally started with enforcement. So there's quite a few. There's a, the Kick Kin ICO that, that's been rumbling on for a long time. EOS, the Block One program platform, was, I think, fined $24 million recently uh, by the SEC. There's been others, ICO Rating, ICO Box, that have also had penalties from the SEC. So that seems to be the favoured method by which the SEC, certainly domestically, are trying to reorganise their approach to cryptocurrencies. Thanks, Henry. And that ends this podcast. If you would like to discuss any of the issues raised or have any further questions, please contact Henry. You can find our contact details on the Alico website. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.